It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, and welcome into another edition of the Wolverine.com's post game show here on the wolverine's youtube channel uh tech support is is a wonderful thing tech issues cannot bring us down we are here like we are every saturday uh, a couple things to sort out behind the scenes but a uh, shout out to producer hutch shout out to uh, former michigan defensive lineman ryan van bergen who's with us every week again michigan wins 31 to 10 over indiana on the road at second road game in a row you guys know the drill. Uh, every week on Saturday, we're sponsored to you by Lewis Jewelers, the only, the official jeweler of Michigan Athletics, and where uh, Ann Arbor gets engaged. So shout out to the team over there. Um, this was a weird one, Ryan. It, it tends to get weird when, when these two teams get together, no matter where it's played. Right off the bat, just initial takeaways. You know, we're probably 30, 30 minutes or so after the game. What's your, what's your in a nutshell, uh, take on this game I think it's a tale of two halves and a team that was all but trying to get themselves into a trap game in the first half uh, both with how we were playing and executing and not to mention I didn't particularly think that we were very aggressive with our play calls and then in the second half I feel like we opened up a little bit everybody seemed to relax a little bit and we played some really good football in the second half so um, sowed some growing right on site uh, especially over halftime yeah, first and foremost, I mean, the immediate takeaway is uh, thoughts and, and good vibes out to Mike Hart, a scary situation along the sideline early on in the game. Uh, it seems like he looked like he collapsed down there, was carted off the field, uh, went to a local hospital. It seems like he had a seizure. So we'll see what happens with him. That's the immediate takeaway, uh, at least on my end, is that you hope that that guy is okay and then he's back on the sideline for Michigan sooner rather than later. Uh, a lot to sort through today. Obviously, like we said, uh, a strange game, one that was tied 10-10 at the half. Uh, Michigan just had to kind of just kind of had to buckle down uh, a lot of there wasn't much of a flow in that first half because of the heart situation and the officiating on both sides and uh, just some weird things that were going on blocked. You know, you, you don't see Michigan give up blocked uh, or have blocked field goals and then go get one on the other end of the field. Just really odd uh, early on, like I said, as these tend to be against Indiana, but uh, you know, defensively, we're kind of getting dinked and dunked for six or seven yards a time in that first half, and then buckled down. And I think every single drive, I'd have to look at the chart. Um, Indiana's second half drives, punt, 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 turnover on downs. Uh, the pass rush arrived again, seven sacks on the day, just a, a workmanlike effort from those guys as they continue to just kind of figure this thing out. Probably need to get a little better. I mean, last week we saw them start hot and then kind of yield at the end. This week it was the opposite. You start cold and you have to buckle down and, and seal one late. But um, defensive adjustments, to me, that's that's the story of this game. I think so. I think defensive adjustments, I think uh... – you know, our defensive line, there's been questions that we've come to these podcasts after games so far this year. And there's been questions about, do we have the pass rush that we've had in the past? And again, the pass rush that we had in the past is two first rounders, which is such a rarity. But I think the questions have been answered. We got guys. 
We got guys that'll come at you and get after your pass rusher. We got guys that can twist and stunt. We got guys on the inside. We got guys on the outside. We got guys that can get after your quarterback. And as a former defensive end, I love to see it. Uh, I love to see how impactful that is in the game. You know, I think our corners and safeties, unfortunately, to this point, we knew that because of the way the schedule shaped that they weren't going to be tested early. So we we're all, I think, waiting with bated breath to see what these guys could do when they got tested a little bit. And I give a little bit of credit to Indiana. They came out and played uh, a game plan that was no holding back and, and balls out. And uh, they aired it out. The officials were calling some ticky-tack, but I thought it was bad both ways. So if it is going to be bad, bad both ways is a good thing. And uh, I think our guys adjusted to playing a little less physical on the edges and uh, just staying with tight coverage and um, jarring the balls out when they made contact. That was another thing I thought was really significant in the second half. Sandra still stands out as one specifically, but the amount of times we're running through guys that should be making catches but don't because of the contact. So our defense turning up, and I think the offense fed off of the defense and uh, the team surging in the third quarter, fourth quarter, uh, I thought was a good sign to what was kind of a tentative start. You know, when you go back and look at defensive adjustments that were made, at least schematically or game plan wise, what was the biggest difference to you from half one to half two? I thought that we were playing very aggressively and uh, playing up in our coverage and kind of challenging them to see if they'd stretch us deep. And then kudos to them. They did. And then I think we adjusted and said, all right, if this is what they want to do, we're, we'll keep them in front of us and see if they can get it in. Uh, you know, from the red zone and beat us the long way, so to speak. And I think that was the adjustment we made. I think it was a very beneficial adjustment. It was the right call to do that. And it's nice to have a defense that, hey, you know, as an 11-man unit, this is our strategy. And then all of a sudden you move a slider. Same thing that happened with our offense in the second half, but you move the slider of, away from aggressive over to conservative in the coverage area, and the whole team can respond. Uh, to me, especially with a first-year defensive coordinator, I don't know if we're talking about that enough, but um, – very impressive from the defensive side of the ball for a team that I thought was throwing all their smoke they had from an offensive perspective. As we said before, seven sacks today after four last week. You know, we've had questions about the, how this pass rush was going to perform as the season went on. And, and the last couple of weeks, it's been, it's been, you know, wasn't always there in the Iowa game. Uh, wasn't always there in this game, but seven sacks. I mean, Mike Barrett, Junior Colson, Ayabi Oki, who had, I think, I thought, I think you can make the argument. We'll see what the grades look like coming out of it, but was maybe Michigan's best defensive player on Saturday. I mean, he was he was all over the place. Jalen Harrell had a good game. He had a sack. Mike Morris had a sack. Derek Moore had a sack. Uh, Brayden McGregor had a sack. It, it's almost like anyone anyone who got back there had had one moment to kind of you know bask in. Uh, we knew that this is what it would look like. I mean, Indiana's a team that's going to you know drop back fifty times. Uh, 49 attempts from Connor Basilak today, uh, 25 for 49, 203 yards, one touchdown and an interception. I want to talk about Michigan's quarterback play real quick because, you know, things have been very easy for JJ McCarthy at certain points of this season. And, and last week was a bit of a training wheels type of game plan, sort of by design, by necessity, I'd say. I mean, when you play an Iowa defense that is as good as they are in their own building, uh, you know, you kind of put the training wheels on a bit, but, uh, shackles were on a bit for the first half in this game, but he finishes about a, as good as you possibly can. 28 for 36, 304 yards, three touchdowns. The, the one interception in the end zone was uh, bad, definitely forced in there. But when you make a mistake like that, the only thing that matters is what happens next. And, uh, you know, Michigan's offense scored two, touch, two touchdowns after that. So how would you rate the day that he had back there? 
I thought he played really well. We all know he forced one ball that he he knows he shouldn't have thrown there in the uh, red zone that gets tipped up. But Ronnie Bell was sandwiched there. And I do believe someone would have come open as a second progression underneath. But kids trying to make a play, that's what we have him here for. So uh, overall, I thought he played really well. I do think um, we talked a lot about it last week, but play calling, especially first half and then beginning of the third quarter, we didn't stress – I'm using words that Joel Klatt uses, so uh, forgive me for that. But we didn't stress – I thought he was accurate. They didn't stress the defense. The defense didn't have, you know, A.J. Henning going across the motion, Blake Corum coming the other way, Schoenmacher coming from the other side. Everything was so straightforward from the Michigan side of the football when it came to play calling. And I thought that, that was very limiting and also allowed – Indiana to really key on what was going to happen next. You know, when you don't have uh, the threat of different things happening pre-play because of the look that you have, it's really easy to pin your ears back and commit as a defense to stopping this run or this inside zone or whatever you may see. So um, I do think that we started on first down, the balance of run pass got a little more balanced, uh, maybe even tilted towards pass, Um, but it's okay. And I think it was a learning opportunity for the offense to allow your passing offense to open up the run. And I feel like we're so consistently like we're going to run and set up the pass. Well, the threat of even faking to Blake Corum on first down, that commits eight guys somewhere. So I think that we learned something about our offense today. I hope that we learned something about our offense today because we can't afford to be that stagnant that early against really good teams. Yeah, and of course, we have a a shout-out and a super chat here from Shane Johnson who says, "Uh, Michigan was sloppy and still played good enough on the road. Missed uh, Roman Wilson today. The defense was beast mode. Uh, prayers for Mike Hart. Nice to have Fred Jackson on the bench. Yeah, I mean, if there's a guy that is qualified to kind of step in, Fred Jackson's definitely that guy. So uh, season starts next week. Uh, Penn State obviously coming to town. So, yeah, 6-0 is good. You always want to get to bowl. I mean, it's Michigan has much higher goals than this, but you always want to get to bowl eligibility uh, as soon as you possibly can. And uh, it's been a while since they've started consecutive seasons 6-0. So uh, good on them for that. Uh, Andrew D., says he's late to the show, but hoping the offense cleans up the play calling, something you were just kind of talking about, Ryan. Telegraphing runner pass 90% of the time. Yeah, Michigan has a way of, especially in those those short yardage run situations, or the situations that you would think scream run, they have a way of calling a play that everyone in the building knows coming, knows is coming. And sometimes it works, and you're like, wow, that's confident way to show confidence in your offense. But um, I do think that they're, they're, they need to mix that up a little bit more. It's just, it is a little too predictable. I agree. I just think there's, um, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot when you are consistently getting second and nine, second and eight from, you know, running the football and running between the tackles primarily on first downs. And I understand the perspective of, you know, they, we're so good, they can't stop us, even if we, they know what's coming. But, it does help to for them not to know what's coming. So I think it, uh, like I said, hopefully led to some growth and development because it's probably a different dynamic. Two first-year offensive coordinators, co-offensive coordinators. I'd be love to sit and hear what goes on through the headset there, but um, I'm sure it's fu- it's tough to find some some energy and uh, play off of one another there. So. I do think that we need to change it up, mix it up, uh, be a little more pre-dress, do a little more dressing pre-play and uh, not telegraph as, as it was put there, what's going on on offense. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about this game and, and I know I'll go back and watch, but just on, on first viewing here, uh, and this is something that um, I'm sorry, Akita Mura, I'm sorry if I butchered the name says, do you think that what happened to Mike Hart affected the team in the first half? Praying he's all right. Loved watching him play back in the day. 
I think it's impossible to sit here and suggest that it didn't have an effect. I mean, you watched one of your coaches go down on the sideline. Um, you know, he had to be taken out on the cart. And, you know, that's not – I know when we talk about Michigan's, you know, Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore, the offensive coordinators, but Mike Hart shapes that too. He's the team's run game coordinator, and he has a voice in – what the offense looks like and, and the rhythm of the play calling and things like that. And then all of a sudden you have someone else in charge of, you know, when Blake Horam is on the field or when he comes off the field. So that's, you know, I'll stop short of saying traumatic, but I mean, we know more about what's going on than those guys do on the sideline when it comes to updates and things like that. They played a whole half of football, not, you know, watching their coach leave on a stretcher. So that that's, there's no way it didn't have an effect. Yeah, and you stopped short of calling it traumatic, and I don't know that I would. I played with Mike Hart. Um, you know, he was a senior when I when I was coming in as a freshman, and as a player, he was such a tremendous leader and obviously a great player. But more about his leadership and his influence in the locker room and stuff like that. So it's no surprise to me that he's had such a successful college coaching career. And you'd be a fool to say that he doesn't impact more than just the running backs room on that offense, because uh, I know how he is in probably every day. Uh, day in day out and the other thing is you prepare as a player if a football coach goes down because oh a play went into the sideline and got tackled and you know compound fracture in his leg as bad as it sounds we see that we're used to that Mike Hart had a seizure out of nowhere you know which would just be so scary and so jarring um so I'm absolutely sure that it had an impact and I've been communicating with my teammates and stuff like that everybody's hoping for good vibes and uh you know everything's okay with him because that'd be really traumatic on the sideline as a player yeah to see one of your your leaders uh, go down like that is is tough um so we do have an update on that. Jim Harbaugh is speaking to the media right now. says that Mike Hart is in stable condition and being evaluated at a local hospital and that, quote, it puts things into perspective. So, yeah, it's it's scary for sure. And, and I think that there was just so much going on early in that game with, like I said, the Mike Hart stuff. The officiating was weird. Uh, there was no real flow to it. It just, to me, game predictions go out the window. It's more, can you just get to the hat? Get to the locker room at halftime, settle down, let this just kind of let everything just kind of wash over you and, and get to the locker room without disaster. And they were able to do that. And we saw a different team come out of the locker room. So uh, we will go to a question now from Steve O, which I'll just lead right to you, Ryan. Why don't uh, Steve O says, why don't they call more play action and roll JJ out? He throws so much more accurately on the move. I think it's a tremendous question. And I hope that we're. Uh, examining why we don't do that a little more often, because I agree with you, especially on play action, you roll JJ out. He's going the opposite way of, uh, you know, either Donovan Edwards or Blake Corum. And you've got defense that has to commit one way or the other. Uh, I think on first down, seeing some play action would be fantastic. I do think there's an element and we saw him when he ran and made his spin move inside of trying to protect him. And I know that's not what we want to hear, but there is six more games left. And uh, as we got from our earlier right in that the season starts now. And uh, so I think we are trying to limit how many times he has an opportunity to go out there and run the football. Uh, even though that's part of our offense and part of his game, we're trying to make sure that he stays healthy through November because we need him. Yeah. I think there are times where JJ McCarthy, just like Caden McNamara is being tasked with running the Michigan offense. And there, like, there are definitely things that they need to do to rein him in, in terms of taking risks with the football getting down when he runs the football. I mean, he took a nasty shot in this game that, again, without Cade McNamara. Should have been targeting, you know, by the way. I don't know how we don't get targeting on that. Led with his crown. 
I don't understand uh, targeting. I never will. The the officiating was an adventure today, uh, to say the least. But um, I know there's still there's still an aspect of his game where you're trying to rein him in a bit. But you don't shack like you can't shackle a guy like that either. Um, you know, I know this isn't going to be a Michigan passing game that runs three or four wide receivers out there, and you're just chucking the ball down the field. But you know, when you get him on the move, and then he's able to hit someone like Ronnie Bell on a crossing route, or Cornelius Johnson, who should have had a 97-yard touchdown, but he redeemed himself later. Um, you just got to let that guy play. I mean, he is. There are times where they try to retrofit him into what the Michigan offense is or what they want it to be. They need to start doing a little bit more to emphasize and accentuate what he does well. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also just think I'm curious because I think he's now gotten to the level of experience where it starts, the conversation starts to happen between him and Harbaugh and him and the offensive coordinators of, hey, here's what I like and here's where I feel comfortable. Now that I've been out there, this is a play I don't like. This is something that a look that I'd rather check out of. And there should be that dynamic and that relationship between them and the coaching room. So I'm interested to see how does the Michigan offense evolve to include the little spice and sprinkle that J.J. McCarthy can do that's special because I think Michigan has a very well-oiled V8 machine that runs in the straight lines, but he's got some special to him. So can we include that in the offense, and will it get more inclusive as they continue to get more starts and more snaps together? For the record, too, it's very – I won't call it stupid, but it's also interesting that we're having this conversation on a day where he's 28 for 36, by far the most completions, most attempts he's had, 304 yards. It's his first 300-plus yard game in a Michigan uniform and three touchdowns. I mean, I'll be I'll be interested in seeing what you know pro football focus and how they type sort of grade it because there were plays that were left on the field, but my God, I mean, it is – you can – you can see what this can be when it's cooking. Uh, Ronnie Bell, 11 catches, 121 yards. Luke Schoonmaker, his third really good game in a row, nine catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. Um, yeah, it's, you know, we're seeing all of that. And they still were able to sort of run the ball, too. Blake Corum at 124 yards, uh, 50 yeah. yard run as well. So, you know, once they kind of hunkered down and figured out what they are and what they do well, I mean, they, Indiana couldn't stop them. It just seems like we're missing an element of the offense, and I see it. You know, we don't, all those catches happen before 15 yards past the line of scrimmage. We do not challenge teams vertically almost at all. You know, we might take, we had that one shot, I think, to Cornelius Johnson. That was a drop, but that was an out route, I think, at 15 yards. Or we're, how many fades did you even see that we threw the ball to? Uh, you know, so, but I got to believe there's a wrinkle in that playbook. I got to believe when we're not, when we're stagged in an offense, there's got to be a, you know, an out and up. And something like that, because J.J. has not only, you know, our offensive line keeping him upright, but he's got the mobility to extend those plays so that those double moves, you know, I'm waiting to see the old school Mario Manningham double move and Chad Henney just dropping it in on him. And we have the guys that can do that at receiver. J.J., I think, can throw that ball. but We just don't see that on the field yet. And I'm fingers crossed that's second half of the season stuff. And we're going to see some of that as we move into the later part of the, the season here. All right, Adam Shepardson says, I believe versus top-tier teams, Michigan will hit on some of those play-action deep balls on second and third and short. They're setting those plays up like Joel Klatt says good offensive coordinators do, which also shout-out to <laughs> shout out to Joel Klatt and the Fox crew. Third week in a row doing a Michigan game, and they'll do a fourth game in a row next week uh, when they're in town for Michigan-Penn State. So interesting there. Uh, what do you think about – I mean, we're six weeks in. What do you think about – putting stuff on film to set stuff up for later in the season. I, I don't know that that's always a, a method I agree with. 
Uh, I don't know if that's a method I agree with, but there's a strategy to playing your cards in the order that you like as a coach. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that there's definitely some plays that have been put on films currently that there's a next evolution of this play continuing, or like I said, double moves from routes on receivers, stuff like that. So I definitely think that there's some things in the playbook that if teams decide to jump this out route or jump this, you know, post or something like that, that we set up something that comes off of it. And I think that that exists. I think that it's, you know, each coach's discrepancy, whether or not, because the other thing you do is you just put it all on film and scare the hell out of defenses. And that's something that I think Ohio State does. And I think there's some other schools that probably do that in their air it out style offense. But Michigan in particular, I feel like we're saving the haymakers to make them count. And it's all good as long as they count in the big moments when we put, when we throw them. A couple of post-game updates here. Of course, we said already that Mike Hart is in stable condition at a local hospital. Uh, Jim Harbaugh also speaking to the media saying that it, it appears that Trent A. Jones has one of those, quote, dreaded high ankle sprains. So probably looking at him being out for a couple of weeks. Uh, that's the same injury that Carson Barnhart had and just came back from. So Carson Barnhart, who I thought played well uh, at right tackle down the stretch. So we'll see what happens there. Um, sort of echoing what we've just said about J.J. McCarthy and the offense, Jim Harbaugh said part of the adjustments that were made coming out of the locker room was they wanted to emphasize putting the ball in J.J. McCarthy's hands. And maybe that's maybe this is where something clicks now to go, hey, you know, we know we can run the football, but we have there's another element. There's another gear we can have. Let's see what this guy does when we put the ball in his hands. I mean, it's there's some very nitpicky things about the performance we can get into. And obviously the, the interception uh, in the end zone we talked about before wasn't, isn't what you want to see, but got 28 for 36, 304 yards, three touchdowns. That's completing 78% of his passes. Still he's been remarkably consistent through, you know, five and a half, six games. And it's good to see for them moving forward. Uh, let's see if we can get to a question here. Oh, there's a one on screen already uh, from Jeremy. Jim said in his pressure that they gave JJ the ball in the second half. Why wasn't that a plan in the first half against a bad pass defense? Uh, I mean, the plan's always, I think, you got to get Blake Corm going. That if, yeah. if that's not part of the plan to, to get your offense started, especially in an away game, in an away game where you expect to have a lead and you want the clock to run off faster so you can get out of there, you know. So I can totally see the – Objective being, hey, their pass defense might be worse than their rush defense, but screw it. We're going to run at them and see if they stop us. And so we ran at them, we ran at them, we ran at them, and they stopped us. And so the second half, we came out and decided to be a little more dynamic. And again, that kind of hand washing a hand as far as when JJ gets going, Coram gets looser. And so does Donovan Edwards. So um, I hope we learned, we grow, and our game planning moving forward uh, might be less punch one punch two and cohesive as far as giving Blake Corum and McCarthy enough touches both all right we have a bit of an alphabet soup name here but we'll just read the question from your perspective was it Indiana going away from the short passes that worked so well in the second half or was it Minter's adjustments that changed the dynamic um my early take probably a bit of both but Ryan you're the resident defensive expert here so again more of what what you saw in terms of Indiana versus uh the, the adjustments that were made from Jesse Minter. 
Well, I thought they were taking some shots and they were taking some shots because we were pretty loaded in the box and um, they took some shots and this happened, I hate to bring it up, but two years ago with Michigan State where they started early with some shots and we're getting called for pass interference, holding lots of hands. The refs seem to be a little sensitive today. So um, you see that work and all of a sudden you're like, well, hey, any advantage we can get, we were 22 point underdog. So anything that can move the ball for us, it, we're going to go back to. And so I think that... Um, we noticed that they were going to take those shots and decided, all right, you're only going to score if you go the long way. So get ready to do 13, 14, 15 play drive and make no mistakes. Well, then all of a sudden we get to let our pass rushers go a little bit. And at quarterback at the end, you could just tell there was an internal clock of, I got to throw this ball out of bounds because I'm not taking another hit. Yeah. Eric, uh, Eric says here in the chat that he wants to see more throws to Andre Anthony, a little bit baffled by, I mean, no Roman Wilson today. I expect him back next week for Penn State, but I thought we'd see a little bit more of Andrell and, and A.J. Henning, not as much of them. Um, Andrell did have two catches for 32 yards. A.J. Henning, one catch for 16 yards. Again, this was a 20 of McCarthy's 28 completions went to uh, Ronnie Bell and Luke Schoonmaker. So, um, yeah, I, I was surprised by that. I'd like to see him get a little more involved. Uh, Adam Shepardson, another question from him says, do you see that juke by Corum in the third quarter? The defender acknowledged his move too. his feet are so freaking fast. Um, yeah. It's insane. Uh, his vision is that's the thing too, is like when you have a back that's as good as Blake Corum is, I know people want to see them pass, 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 but you know, if Michigan was throwing the ball 50 times a game, people would be wondering why Blake Corum isn't touching the ball more. That and also the ball security that he provides. That's something that, you know, Mike Hart was also famous for on top of all the other things that he did. But he only had, I think, two fumbles in his whole career. They were both in the last game in the bowl game, and he's reaching for the end zone in the Capital One Bowl. So, um, but Blake Corum does a really good job taking care of the football, too. And that's one thing offensively we've got to be super pleased about. I know we get so nitpicky, but today was J.J. McCarthy's first interception in 2022. And the offense, as far as a team for turnovers, I don't know what we're at, but i got to believe we're at one of the best in, in the country when it comes to our offense not giving the ball away. Yeah. So, um, you know, Blake Corum has to see his touches. The thing is, I just think that we can – adjust when and how he gets those touches and also give him some distractions so they can't commit nine guys to stopping the run on first and 10. Another question from Eric here says, how impressed have you been by uh, Yabi Oki? Has he earned a starting position? Uh, he's, he's earned more playing time. I think we can safely say that he's been one of Michigan's most productive pass rushers still have some questions, at least on my end in terms of, three down of ability and and you know there were a lot of times today because indiana runs tempo where he had to stay on the field but held up pretty well there i just i have questions about his maybe run defense still but it's pretty clear to me he's ascending as is Derek moore absolutely yeah both of them looked well i was going to mention Derek moore if we didn't get around to him because i thought he looked really good and i always got to mention my man mason graham because he just gets better game in game out and honestly mozzie had a really big game uh, um I can't think of his name, number 78, uh, but he played really well at the defensive tackle. The only reason that these guys on the edge are having so much success is because there's nowhere for the quarterbacks to step up to. Uh, the defensive tackles haven't statistically shown up in the sack column so much as the, the edges have, but the reason the edges have been so successful is because
because the occupation of the guys in the middle. So the guys in the middle are doing a tremendous job pushing the pocket and aren't seeing a whole lot of credit for it. Um, as far as Oki being a starter, it's kind of one of those things. I feel like defense has changed. Yeah, there's 11 guys listed as a starter, but I guarantee you Oki is number one end or rush on the nickel package, the dime package. You know, he's just not listed as the starter. So um, I think that he's earned to be on the field during passing downs you know, 70% of the time, 80% of the time, because that's what he does best. Um, so I think that you'll see us utilize him in situations and we're spoiled right now when it comes to the depth and different uh, guys that we have and what they can do on the edge. There's no real reason to bring him in against a Wisconsin and have him play five technique end. he's not going to find success there. So um, I think we're using him as much as we can in a spot where he's at his best. And that's why you're seeing him show up in impact games with 25 plays a game. Yeah, it's one of those things too. It's like basketball now. Like your starting five might not might not be what your closing five looks like. You know, the, the guys that you have out there and you know need a big defensive stop or whatever it is. So similar situation here. Uh, again, there were times where he had to play, uh, you know, every down on a drive because that's just the way that Indiana plays offense. Um, but yeah, I thought that he passed he passed a big test, and, and there was the one on Derek Moore's sack. They had a defensive line of three freshmen were out there. It was Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, who, I, who you were referencing, and then Derek Moore gets in there, gets the sack. So starting to see more of those guys play too. Uh, more of those guys play too. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy Rolder had a lot of playing time. Seems like he was subbing in on passing downs for Junior Colson. Maybe that's something they're trying to work in after some of the coverage issues they had last week. But um, yeah, that was the biggest thing coming out of the half for me was that they were getting more pressure up the middle and what Indiana was trying to do is get the ball out quick. And when you snap the football and there's already a, you know, 350 pound defensive tackle bearing down on you, uh, you know, forces mistakes. So shout out to those guys for all of that. Uh, Josiah Wittenbach wants to know Michigan's red zone offense is putrid. How does that get better? Uh, what are you seeing with what's going on down there? It seems, I, I won't call it too cute, but there's not a lot of flow last year. They're still scoring touchdowns, but it's, um, it's still definitely a work in progress. Well, I think it goes back to the point I initially started with of there's not enough dressing and pre-snap movement prior to the to the snap of the ball. And the predictability of where the ball is going to be in the red zone is just very high right now, in my opinion. And we just got to get a little more creative with how we do some of our plays. There's a lot of our plays that I feel like would work just a little bit better if we dress them or at least threaten them differently. Because defensively, if I know where the ball is going or have a high probability and want to commit in the red zone and I happen to be right, you're stalling. You know, and that's something that I feel like we've seen with our offense that could improve. But I also think that we're really okay with allowing our defense to go on the field and win games with us kick field goals every other possession. You know, I don't know how everybody's going to feel about that, but uh, as a team, we get points every drive. They may not be touchdowns every drive, but drive where we're getting points every drive. And there was a time where I feel like two years ago, three years ago, we were like, oh my God, we can't score a touchdown in the red zone. I don't think that's the case. We're not there in that same position again. So um, I do think we got to get a little bit more creative, but overall, I actually don't think our red zone offense is putrid. I think it could use improvement, um, but uh, I do like the reach of a good vocabulary word. <laughs> Jake Moody isn't kicking as many field goals right now as he was this time last year. So by by default, that's an improvement. Uh, I want to I want I want your take on this one because this is a guy that you played with. Um, Adam says that Mason Graham reminds him of Mike Martin. Solid wrestling background, violent hands, stout. Do you see that? 
Absolutely. I see that. Um, I see, I see him in him. I see, or see him in him. I see Mike in him. And then uh, I think I feel like I see like a little bit more explosive, uh, like Mo Hurst, maybe a little bit smaller Mo Hurst, but a guy that just can be so violent right off the ball. And uh, as a freshman, that's super impressive because usually the physical element, it's just tough to be ready you know, by the fall of your, your 18 and you're playing against 24 year olds that have been in college for five years, hitting the weights for nine months out of those 12 months in those five years. And to not be physically uh, inferior, your freshman year on the defensive line is just tough. And the fact that he's doing what he's doing and, you know, there's other young guys coming along with him, our defensive line depth and future looks very bright, which excites me. Who out there reminds you of you? um honestly i would love to say morris but i didn't play on the edge like that if if i could have been morris but i got to go to three technique and me and me and mike got to do some twists and stuff like that i didn't have the speed that he had i don't see me out there i honestly i've looked at this and as humbly as i can say it i would be probably holding the helmet if i was playing nowadays (laughs) because uh the positions just evolved i might be able to play a nice solid three technique but uh i feel like the positions evolved it's gotten so much faster these guys are tremendous athletes and uh as much as i like to think highly of myself i don't think i can hold a can some of the guys that have come off the edge here recently for Michigan. Well, obviously next week, Michigan gets Penn State. Penn State on a bye this week. So this next question is, uh, Ryan, how does your opponent having a bye week affect your preparation leading up to the game? So just, I guess, all sides of that. Uh, Penn State's on a bye. How do you game plan for that? How do you, uh, you know, what's, what's the plan going into a game like that? I don't think it changes your week at all, which is actually, to I think, our advantage. I always have hated, and even as a fan now watching, I hate the game after the bye week. And because for some reason, there's always just some sluggish, sluggishness, some slowness, some non-crispness. You get so finely tuned week in, week out of here's my Monday morning, afternoon, evening, Tuesday, all the way through, and you get so consistent. And then there's this week that it's like, ah, well, we're not doing it this week we're going to pick right back up and it takes a lot of good coaching planning. Um, You've got to be smart with your strength and conditioning. Um, But there's so many elements to a bye week that I think work to your disadvantage in preparation for your next game. As much as people probably think, Oh, a week off heals the body, which it does. Um, But I think it weakens the mind a little bit. So I am happy that Penn state had a bye week and now have to come play us in our place. They have not played well when they've come to the big house, even when they've had a good team as of late and James Franklin uh, has kind of had his lunch money punked by Jim Harbaugh on more than one occasion recently. So I think all signs point to that favors Michigan, and I'm very happy and hope they had a very comfortable Saturday. <laughs> on the flip side of that, I mean, Michigan will play Michigan State coming off a of bye week. I know Michigan State not uh, probably not as good as they have been, obviously not as good as they have been the last, uh, you know, at least last year. But concerns with, you know, that's that's two games away now. It's Penn State, Michigan State. Um with a bye week sandwiched in there. So I guess concerns about that on your end. The only reason I have no concerns is that we have them uh, right after they've had a bludgeoning of a schedule. They play Ohio state. And then I think they play, they play, they may play Penn state after us, but I think they might have another Wisconsin or something like that. Like they are in a thickness of their schedule where their bodies are going to be beaten and bruised. And they're going to know that at that time I'm calling it now, but we'll probably be favored uh, in that game. And so Michigan as players, 
on the bye week, yes, I'd be concerned that maybe it's a little less sharp, but I think we can beat Michigan State execution-wise, even if we're not at our very best execution-wise. And I also think these guys for Michigan have had enough of Michigan State beating them in seasons where they shouldn't have been in the game or even blowing a big lead or something like that, like last year. So you got a lot of hungry guys on this Michigan team that really want to take it to Michigan State. And uh, I don't think the bye week – if you could have a bye week that would uh, – help you the most i think when you're just savoring and waiting for this opponent so you can just take them on and smash them uh i think is going to be good for michigan or as good as the bye week can be i did not realize this but uh michigan and michigan state both have a bye week that weekend of the 22nd so yeah. maybe even less of a concern now but yeah uh, michigan state losing 14 to 7 against ohio state as we ha- uh do this show here they will play wisconsin next week at home so a little update there on uh the team up the road, so to speak. Uh, some respect here for you. Uh, Don Eden says RVB a legend in my <laughs> mind, always. Uh, Adam says you were solid and because of your motor that Jim Harbaugh would have had you on the field. So give yourself a little more credit than that, Ryan. <laughs> I appreciate um, it. Thanks. Let's, uh, let's see what else. We've got time for a few more here. Let's go to this game, uh, this one from Michael, who says, what are you looking forward to? most about the Penn State game and what do they do that worries you the most? Uh, I, for me personally, I am worried about Penn State's defense. Penn State, we know Penn State is linebacker U and there's, they went to Auburn and smothered Auburn, which we don't know. Auburn's not great this year, but I feel like Penn State's defense has got tremendous recruits, lots of talent. There's a tradition of excellence on their defense and our offense. We just haven't really been tested as hard, as much as we you know, maybe wish we would have been as we get into this game. And it'll be interesting to see Penn state can create turnovers. Uh, Penn state can get you off the field fast. So offensively, it'll be interesting to see, are the, is there any, can we move the ball at will, you know, is, or is there going to be some struggles that we need to overcome because um, Penn state, I feel like on defense is probably the best that we're going to see until the Ohio state game. And even then at the end of the year, we might go, ah, Penn state, Ohio state toss up, Penn State might have the edge. So uh, I'm interested to see the all, all the facets of our offense because I think we may need all the bullets in the gun when it comes to playing Penn State against Penn State's defense. Yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, we do have time for a few more questions here, so feel free to get yourself in. This is the last call. Uh, I'm going to take this one, though, uh, from Kyle Tobias, who asks, can you rank the remaining six games on Michigan's schedule by difficulty? So I'm going to – doing this off the top of my head here. So Ohio state's number one. I'm going to say Penn state number Penn state and Illinois are like two and two a to me. Illinois has played really well, Um, but it is, I think it's Ohio state, it's Penn state. I'm going to throw that Michigan state game in there just because weird stuff happens when those two teams play. Uh, We will go from there. Thank you, Hutch. Hutch is a good producer. Uh, probably from there, I would say Rutgers, Nebraska will kind of be how I round it out. So Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Illinois, Rutgers, Nebraska. There we go. That's how I would rank it. Any any thoughts on that? 
I would agree for the most part. Ohio State, uh, at Ohio State, was the only reason that I give them the nod there right now. I just don't know that they're – we were talking about it on the broadcast today, that they are the top team in the NCAA. I just don't see that yet. Maybe potentially, but I don't know that I see, I've seen it yet to confirm that that's what I feel about Ohio State. And I think Penn State is better nationally than maybe they're getting attention for. But Ohio State, number one. Penn State, number two. Illinois, number three. Michigan State, number four. Uh, Rutgers at five and Nebraska at 17 because they're terrible. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I, I don't see any more questions, so I think that's going to do it for us here. Uh, again, Michigan wins uh, 31 to 10 at Indiana. It wasn't always pretty, but at a certain point it was just figured out and let's get on to next week. Six and oh, that's, that's a good spot to be in or officially at the halfway point this season. Another game next week against Penn State. Then you'll have a bye. Come back and play Michigan State to close out October. So it's, it is amazing how fast this season is going. But we appreciate you guys for being here. Ryan Vandenbergen, thank you so much again for joining me uh, as you do every week. Uh, be sure to leave a like on the video below. Uh, subscribe to our channel. Lots of great stuff coming over the next couple of weeks as things really get kicked into the next year. We've got basketball content coming next week as well. Big Ten Media Days in Minneapolis. I'll be there for that. So uh, for Ryan Van Bergen, uh, for the Wolverine, for producer Hutch behind the scenes, thank you everyone for watching and listening, and we will talk to you again next time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.